Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature, and exploring some of the deeper questions as we go into Season 2. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. Hello and welcome back to Interesting Questions. We are continuing with our study of Pirkei Avot. We are up to Mishnah Dalid. Yossi ben Yoezer ish Tzereda, v'yossi ben Yochanan ish Yerushalayim kiblu mehem. Yossi, the son of Yoezer from Tzereda, and Yossi ben Yochanan from Yerushalayim, received the tradition from those we've listed before. Yossi ben Yoezer ish Tzereda Omer. Yossi ben Yoezer from Tzereda said, Yehi veitcha beit va'ad lechachamim. Your house should be a meeting place for sages. And sit in the dust of their feet. And drink thirstily from their words. So I think the question that comes from this, Akiva, is one of how do we treat our sages? Do we see them as human beings, or do we see them as more than that? And I think this is particularly relevant considering that we are also now back in those parshiot where we're talking about Avraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov and looking at those things that they did and asking ourselves, there too, do we treat these people as some sort of perfect being, or do we treat them as human beings who may have made mistakes that we can learn from just as much as we can learn from what they did well? Um, And, you know, we look at some of the books that are published by certain Jewish publications, um, and they seem to be hagiographies, right? They seem to be these books of saints um, with no mistakes made and no issues raised. And so I'm going to start with you and tell us, is that healthy? Is it healthy for us to see these as as saint-like people? Well, the short answer, I think, is no. The more expounded upon the no is, quite frankly, I think that when we look at those who we can learn from, Anyone who's ever had any kind of education knows that there are teachers that you look back at, educators, and you say, wow, I learned so much from this person. They taught me such an amazing lesson. And there are people who you look back and you go, wow, I learned so much about what not to do from this person. They taught me such amazing lessons about how not to behave. And the truth is, is that both of those are valuable. And I think the idea that it should be either or is obviously in and of itself not only impossible in most cases, but we're missing out on things. 
you know, we, we talked last year, uh, around this time, I'm sure, about the, the challenges that come across with Avraham. He wasn't perfect. Lots of things weren't perfect. Does that mean that there, isn't ama- that there aren't amazing things to learn from Avraham? Absolutely there are. And at the same time, we can also learn what not to do or how to do things differently or say it's also an opportunity, a wonderful opportunity to see that even those who seem so powerful and, and, and knowledgeable and perfect, watching them have human struggles truly makes us feel like it's okay to be us. I think that when you have the idea of really, and it's idolizing. When we idolize someone, we take away the opportunity to see that this is a normal person. This is someone who can make mistakes, someone who can struggle, someone who has flaws, and yet they are still an amazing person. They are still someone that we can learn from, someone that can be experienced. And, you know, I, I I will say very very personally, you know, and Avi, you and I have talked about this before, one of the things that is whenever I'm participating and, and someone is davening, and especially, especially if it's somebody who has the background of being a rabbi, if they make a mistake, quite frankly, I do not look at it as, oh, they made a mistake. And yet at the same time, I think if somebody with such a wonderful background and such amazing knowledge can make a mistake, then all the more it can be acceptable that I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. And to see that, again, I don't look at it as a flaw. I look at it instead as an amazing opportunity to see that it's okay to make a mistake. So if we take away the fact that individuals make mistakes, then I think we lose an important opportunity. And I know we've talked about it before, but I think it is worth repeating the power of admitting our mistakes, right? So you may want to add on to what you just said in terms of the opportunities for others to see our humility, our self-reflection, if and when we make mistakes, admitting to them and working to repair them. Teshuvah. It's plain and simple. It's 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 the same reason why we have tshuva, and it's the same reason why tshuva is built in every year for everyone, regardless of who you are. There's no one who's exempt from it. And again, it, and and all of those wonderful teachers. You know, I can relate a personal example of watching and attending, uh, and in, on my internal medicine rotation, he made a mistake. He he gave someone a medicine that he, they they shouldn't have had, and they had a reaction to it. And he apologized profusely. He took ownership of the mistake. And then, after the patient left, he started combing the research to never make the mistake again. And this was someone who, I mean, you talk to him and it was like talking to a textbook. I imagine, you know, we all know those Rebbeim who fit that profile. But he was a physician who fit the profile of, he knew everything about everything in medicine. And yet, obviously, he made a mistake, so there was something he didn't know. And again, instead of hiding, instead of shirking his responsibility, instead of any way not taking full advantage of the learning opportunity that was in front of him, thank God the person was okay. And moreover, he said, 
well, I'm going to make sure I don't ever do this again. And he started combing the research and the literature to make sure that he learned from his mistake. And so, yeah, it's the, it's the way you accept making a mistake. Uh, we've talked before that, you know, one of the most important things that we can do as educators, as leaders, as parents, so any, any facet of that, even in, in to the smallest degree of in your own home, being able to look at someone and say, I could do better. And owning that, we teach people that they don't have to be perfect. We teach our children, we teach our students, we teach our uh, kehila, we teach our, our, our public that we don't have to be perfect. We can make a mistake. Um, it's, it's priceless. So, Avi, one of the pieces that comes to my mind when I'm thinking of this also is, you know, we always think about soaking up the knowledge from our, our rebellion and those who are so important to us, those are our educators. But at the same time, when you learn Gomorrah, what is it? It's, it's a bunch of rebellion arguing with each other. So how do we balance that? How do we take this this specific mission which says well soak up the knowledge from the sages and yet we also know that the sages argued amongst each other and and how do we balance those two so i think that's a great question when we look at traditional judaism the idea of machloket the shem shamayim the idea of debate for the sake of heaven in other words we want to really get to the truth. And sometimes the only way to get to the truth is to discuss and debate. And that doesn't mean it's fighting, right? Fighting is different. Debate for this healthy debate is about searching for and probing each other's ideas to try and get to the the heart of the matter and a true understanding. And so we have many, many classic examples, but one of my favorite is the idea that Rashi uh, wrote the classic commentary on the Torah and is right the first commentary that almost every student learns when they begin learning Torah. And, and that's because he's concise and Rashi is thoughtful and he quotes from traditional sources. And, and so students grow up learning Rashi and in some cases almost exclusively Rashi. And then when you get to a little older, you begin to learn the Ramban, Nachmanides. And one of the things, one of the styles that Nachmanides has, that Ramban has, is that he'll quote a Rashi, he'll tear Rashi apart, and then give his own explanation. But how could we do this? It's the great Rashi. And the answer is because Ramban is saying that while Rashi, truly respected, and commentary is amazing, doesn't mean he's always right. There are other interpretations and other understandings that are worthwhile. Speaking of Ramban, there's also the disagreement between Ramban and Rambam, the Nachmanides and Maimonides, on any number of issues, from how we count 613 mitzvot in the Torah, to whether there would be sacrifices again, to any number of things. And these debates were not, again, they, they were not out of malice. They were not out of disagreement. They were about 
how do we mine the depth of Torah? How do we get to a better understanding of Torah? And the fact that Torah is, is I almost want to say different for every person, but not quite. We have a phrase called shivim panim la Torah. There are 70 faces to the Torah. And there is the ability for people to dive into Torah and find an explanation that is consistent with the tradition that speaks to them. And that does not mean that someone else's reading, where they learn something else, is wrong. It can be read on multiple levels and from multiple perspectives, depending on where we are in our lives, who we are as a person, what we're looking for, what we need. All of those things are different at different points in our own lives and obviously vary from person to person. And so the ability to read Torah, learn Torah, and internalize the message that is there may change from year to year, from week to week, from person to person, and that's a healthy thing. That as long as you are looking for true understanding, because I want to separate that from people who come in with an agenda, but as long as someone is looking for true understanding, then they will find a message that speaks to them within Torah. So, Avi, I think that that's a wonderful answer, um, especially if you are to the level of Maimonides, Nachmanides. But let's, let's bring that down a bit. Let's bring that to the level of, of a student, a young student who has questions, who wants to learn. And I think a lot of times there's a, a legitimate struggle for students who want to ask questions or don't know that they want to ask questions or need to ask questions. And there are times when they don't know how to ask those questions because they don't want to be disrespectful. They don't want to be, uh, God forbid, they should be considered to be an of course. But at the same time, it's so valuable and important for them to learn and be able to see that there are more and more things you can learn. Because unfortunately, I think a lot of times when we fall into the 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 chasm of I'm not allowed to ask, it's well, it's a mystery. Um, we lose that love of learning and we lose that and we don't want our next generation or generations thereafter to lose that love of learning and Torah. So I want to clarify that I don't think Judaism shies away from questions. Just the opposite. I think Judaism invites questions. It encourages questioning. As long as that questioning comes from a place of honest curiosity and interest. So if someone is asking an authentic question, either because they don't know or because they want to know more or because they see an inherent problem or contradiction, that's why we have teachers, right? In Judaism, the term Rav is not about being a pastoral figure or a religious leader. It's about being a teacher. And so the rabbi's number one job, and the, and the teacher, whether it's male or female, the teacher's number one job is to educate. And the only way you can educate your students, whether they're 5, 15, 25, or 105, 
is to find out what they know and what they don't know. And one of the best ways to do that is to listen to their questions. And I will say, as someone who has been an educator for many years, that when my students ask difficult questions, those are some of my proudest moments because that means, number one, they're really focused and paying attention and bought into what we are learning. And number two, that means that they are thinking at a critical level and they are really focused in on, on trying to not just understand the text, but internalize it to become part of who they are. So I love getting those difficult questions. And the Gemara is all about asking those questions. Right? Many look at the Gemara as the ultimate text for people to learn. And that's because it is a difficult conversation of questions and answers and tangents that discuss and debate and give proofs as to why things in Judaism are the way they are. And when that is the case, it, it brings out a beauty, it brings out a truth, it brings out a wonderment of, uh, of true Judaism. And so there may be moments when it isn't appropriate to ask a question, right? We don't bring up a question in the middle of the rabbi's drasha, right? Because you're interrupting his train of thought and his progress. But certainly afterwards, if you are a student in a class, I guess my best advice to you is, as you listen to what the teacher has said, let them finish their thought. Raise your hand. And then, with an honest and straightforward manner, ask the question that you want to ask. Don't be afraid. I'll share a particular event that I had. Uh, when I went to YU, I was a little bit older than the average student. I was already married. And we took a class in... Uh, the laws of Nida, the laws of family purity. And we began having a discussion about some of the uh, intricacies of husbands and wives being physically together. Um, and I asked a technical question. And I think many of the guys who were in that room who were unmarried and uh, had had no life experience with people of the opposite gender were quite shocked that I was willing to ask the question of the rabbi who was leading the discussion. But the rabbi took it in stride and, and saw that I was asking certainly not to be disrespectful and not to, you know, bring up problematic issues, but I was asking a real, a real question. And so he answered with what the halacha is and why it is that way, um, with gusto and detail. Um, and I always appreciated that he, he saw that I was asking an honest question, an authentic question, and answered it in the same way. My question for your Shabbos table this week is, share a mistake that you have made and how the outcome, now in retrospect, 
has actually led to something positive. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.